Dear Lord, we thank you so much for this precious time to come together to worship you. Lord, for your word to reveal truth to us, to transform our lives. And I pray if there's someone out here today, Father, who doesn't know you or who has not experienced the life-saving transformation of the gospel, that today would be that day that they'd be drawn. Lord, for those who are hurting and need encouragement, Lord, I'd pray that today would be the day that they enable us and allow your spirit uh, to invade their lives as we pray over them and ask God for your power to be upon them and strengthen them for the journey. Lord, we thank you for this time and we give you praise and we ask that you open the eyes of our heart. In your name I pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Mark chapter 6. The Gospel of Mark chapter 6. I also want to remind you, uh, if you'll notice on our right and our left, uh, there are signs up that in, that tell you kind of where we are on our building process and the journey. Many of you are part of that. And we ask you to be faithful with that. And uh, it's still opportunity for others to, to be a part if you'd like to. We're still on schedule to break ground at the end of January. There's additional information outside, and you'll be hearing information in the weeks ahead. But if you would like to go out in the foyer or after the service, look at these signs. They'll give you all the information of where we are and what's occurring. We ask that you prayerfully stay committed to the journey. Well, in uh, the Gospel of Mark, we uh, notice a story here, chapter 6. I've called this the Compassion Revolution. Uh, but when you read this story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, I don't know what comes up in your mind, but growing up in rural Louisiana, I'll tell you what goes up, comes up in my mind. It's something called dinner on the ground. All right? You may not be familiar with dinner on the ground, but what dinner on the ground was is, is all the folks in our church would come together. I, had, I was in a little church, ran about 70 or 80 on Sunday. And every fifth Sunday, we'd have dinner on the ground. Everybody bring all their food. And what's uh, the sad part about it, I only remember actually twice in my life we actually had it on the ground. Usually it was on a table. But we had dinner on a table. And we'd sit around on the ground. And we'd sit around outside. And we would we'd eat together. And uh, I, I don't know what's happened to all you folks. But for some reason, everybody now is so completely wigged out about having food more than two hours, not in the refrigerator. Can I tell you, we didn't have any refrigerator or any microwave back then. We just put tin foil on it, and it sat out there for about three hours, and we ate it, and it was better than ever, okay? So I don't know about all this salmonella business. I just know that yeah, I, I don't get sick much today because I had dinner on the ground growing up, all right? That's what I know, all right? So I, 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 don't, I don't understand you, all you mamas that get wigged out about, uh, oh, I can't get to me in an hour, and it won't be in the refrigerator. I don't even think, we, we didn't have a refrigerator at that church, you know what I mean? Some of those folks showed up at 8.30 in the morning. Okay, I'm on a soapbox. That has nothing to do with our message. But nevertheless... This just gives me a vivid picture. And I'm sure in Jesus they weren't thinking, these fish, they're not refrigerated. They didn't care. They just ate them, all right? Like most of the world still does today. But I have this picture of dinner on the ground, of everybody getting together, and they're eating fish sandwiches together, and they're all coming together. And one of the things I loved about dinner on the ground is all these ladies would cook all this food. They'd bring it up there. And I mean, I couldn't get halfway through them. My plate was just stacked, man. It was full, and I'd just keep going back. And then there was the dessert table, and it was just wonderful. I mean, it's just it was my favorite, man. It was, it was the best. And that's my picture here. And, and I think some of the Jews probably have this picture in Isaiah 26 uh, about how the great feast, the great banquet feast, when the Messiah would come, and when we would enter into His presence and there would be plenty of food, there would be food left over just like every Sunday that we'd have. The people would just be carrying all this food out. There was plenty. We ate till we couldn't eat anymore. And yet there was still enough. It was more than enough. 
There's a picture and there's a message right there in it itself for what's occurring. But that was my picture as I read the story of feeding the 5,000. But, you know, there's a lot more going on than just dinner on the ground here. Matter of fact, there's a revolutionary mindset to many of the people who have shown up. They believe and they are anticipating the Messiah who will come and start a revolution and throw out the Roman Empire. Matter of fact, many feel that they will expel all the Gentiles and the Jewish nation will be put back in its proper state and they will have life as they had anticipated as the Messiah leads them in this revolution, this militaristic revolution. And most of the people believe that. I had a chance to go to see the Dead Sea Scrolls this week over at Southwestern Seminary. <clears throat> and one of the things they'll show you, they'll, they'll tell you about, are the revolutions, the, the revolutionary mindset that many of the people had. You know, there were three primary groups when it came to religious order uh, within the Jewish culture at that time. First of all, uh, there were the Sadducees who were kind of the ruling body. Then there were the Pharisees that Jesus often mentions. But there was a third group called the Essenes. And the Essenes were a group of people who felt like the, the Jewish culture had been so corrupt by the Romans and by other Gentiles that they pulled themselves out and they lived in the deserted areas, in the Qumran and the different areas and They lived there in anticipation of the Messiah who would come and restore all things as they should be. They believed that the culture had become so contaminated, that their faith had become so contaminated, that they would just pull themselves out and they called themselves the New Covenant Community. The new covenant that Jeremiah talked about, a new covenant would be given and the Messiah would inaugurate a new community of hope where all would be right. And so they said, we're going to wait until the Messiah comes and the new community will be established. We'll be ready for Him. So they were greatly anticipating the coming of the Messiah. Most of the rest waited for the revolution. There were revolutions popping up all before the time of Christ and even after the time of Christ. We saw it in the Maccabean Revolution uh, where uh, they had been forbidden to worship and forbidden uh, to follow the Torah. And so uh, many of the Maccabean, the, the children were killed. And so Joseph Maccabeus uh, starts a revolution and that's why we celebrate Hanukkah. And for 80 years, uh, the, the foreign oppressors were uh, disposed and they were able to worship in the temple like they want. But then the Roman government comes in and they take back over and they take over and they oppress the people. They tax the people in that popular expression we use. But when the Messiah comes, it will be different. When the Messiah comes, he'll get rid of these folks in understanding what's occurring as we read this story in that climate is, I think, is crucial. Matter of fact, John tells us, we read earlier, John, Laura read John, that not only that, but that it's right before Passover. Now, what occurs at Passover? It's the time where they remember their forefathers were delivered out of the nation of Israel from the oppression of Israel. So it's a time of heightened awareness that, you know what? We are going to be delivered. And maybe this is the time. And what's occurred? Well, we know from Mark chapter 5 what's occurred. Well, Jesus has calmed the storms. Many have heard of that. He has power over nature. He's delivered the demoniac. He has 
spiritual authority. He sent out His disciples to proclaim His message. And now John the Baptist, just last week we saw, has been headed. John the Baptist, who was his cousin, who was the forerunner, who had a large following, he's been murdered. He's been killed by Herod. And the people think, this is it. This is enough. And now Jesus comes to a remote place, to a deserted area. And what's interesting about this is if you stop and think about it, and as I looked at history this week, and as if you look at that time, even today, where do the zealots, where do the revolutionaries, where do the guerrillas, where are they? Are they in the middle of the city marching around? No, they're in the deserted areas. Jesus is about to enter into the hotbed of the revolutionary movement. It's where the soldiers and the zealots, it's where the guerrillas are camped out. And when they hear Jesus is coming, they run. And what's interesting is they'll say there's 5,000 men. Now, scholars can debate over why there's 5,000 men. But many scholars believe the reason they're giving you the number of the men is because who's going to be the fighters? Who are going to be the soldiers? Who are the revolutionary members? It's the men. So that's who's counted here. The 5,000 men are counted here. Now, with that understanding and that background, let's begin to read our text. We know that John says that they want to take him by force. Earlier when Laura read that in John, and by the way, this is the only miracle outside of the resurrection that we all four Gospels give us an account for. Okay, so it's, it is an important event. It is an important occurrence here. And when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him, and he was by the... Excuse me. That's what happens when you go to the wrong page. Let's go back here. Verse 30. Then the apostles gathered around Jesus, and he reported to him all that had been done and all that taught. And so the disciples who'd gone out, as we talked about last week, they're coming back, they're telling Jesus all that has occurred. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while. For many people were coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they went away in a boat by themselves to a remote place. If you'll remember, again, we talked about they're headed out, they're trying to get away from the people, but they're headed to a remote area, an area where those who were being searched for, those who had started skirmishes, would be hiding out. And so they've heard this message, and so they went away in the boat by themselves to a remote place. But many saw them leaving and recognized them, and people ran by land from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. And he stepped out ashore, and he saw a huge crowd and had compassion upon them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So people have heard of the miracles. They've heard of his ability to show miracles over nature, over the spiritual world. Not only that, he has healed people. And not on top of that, now John the Baptist has been murdered. He's out in these small towns where many of the revolutionary figures are living. There are little pockets of groups of guerrillas. And the word gets out. The Messiah is coming. The one called Jesus is coming. This could be the Messiah we've been anticipating. And many decide, you know what? He is going to be the Messiah. If necessary, we'll take Him by force. So He's come and He begins to speak. And they're ready. Some have probably shown up with their knives. Some, even though it was forbidden with their swords, they are ready. And Jesus gathers them all together. 
And what's interesting is Jesus, the Bible says, has compassion. He sees this group of people who are, he says, as like sheep without a shepherd. They're coming for hope. They're coming for life. They're coming to hear a message. What's interesting, that phrase, sheep without a shepherd, that's the same phrase that's used in Numbers chapter 27, verses 15 through 18. Jesus gives a direct reference, a foreshadowing of what has occurred in the past and what will occur in the future. Jesus makes reference to what Moses says when he is about to depart this life. Matter of fact, Moses is up on the hill over the promised land and God has told him, look, you're not going. And Moses says, you're going to have to give the sheep a shepherd. They're out there. They're like sheep without a shepherd. That's not just the term that we generally think of. Now, sometimes in the Scripture we'll see in the Old Testament, shepherd is used just like we think. Oh, it's for sheep. He's taking care of the sheep. But very often, particularly when you see that phrase, sheep without a shepherd, it's used at least seven different times in the Old Testament of a political figure who will lead the people in a theocracy. The person who will lead them theocratically and politically. And so that's what happens in Numbers chapter 27. Moses has been the political leader up to this point. But now uh, Moses says, God, I know you're about to take me, but there the sheep are without a shepherd. Would you please bring a shepherd for them? And what does God say? Who does God appoint? God said, I want you to select who. Does anybody know? Joshua. Now, what does the Hebrew name Joshua mean? What is it in the Hebrew? We know Jesus in the Greek, but in the Hebrew, Yeshua, Joshua, the one who saves. It is the equivalent of the name of Jesus. Do you see the foreshadowing? So Joshua is appointed as the sheep, as the shepherd for the sheep. The sheep without shepherd receive a leader named Joshua who goes through and helps them militaristically uh, clean out the land and establish their colony, establish their culture in the land that was promised to them. So what do the Jews think is going to happen this time? Same thing. A Joshua's coming. Here's Jesus. A, a Joshua figure. A, he has his name. He's coming. And they think this is what he's going to do the same thing. He's going to expel the Gentiles and we're going to reestablish our land here. We'll worship like we want without taxation and without oppress- an oppressive government and rule over us. That's what's going to happen. That's what we're anticipating. But Jesus looks out at him and he has compassion. Interesting word there, isn't it? He has compassion for them. He feels for them. He hurts for them because he notices they are people out there who are needing a shepherd. They come and they're so anticipating salvation. They're so anticipating help. So he begins to teach them, the Bible says. And then he teaches them many things. What does he teach them? Well, he teaches them the gospel. Many scholars believe he probably went through the Sermon on the Mount. And they're hearing a message that's quite contradictory to what they had hoped. This is a message of hope, a message of life, but not one of violence. The Bible says, as we continue here, it says, And it was late, and the disciples approached him and said, This place is a wilderness. And if we went back to Exodus chapter 16, uh, we would see the story of how the children of Israel are in the desert. They've been delivered 
in Passover time. That's where Passover starts. And they're out in the desert and they begin to say, what are we going to eat? What are we going to have? And what does Moses do? Moses said, I'm going to rain down manna from heaven. I'm going to, God's going to provide bread for you. Bread and meat. And so that's exactly what occurs. And here Jesus is again. He's becoming, matter of fact, John, if you go in, go on and read the whole chapter in his, uh, version of this, you see that he even shares that he is the bread of life. He is the blood, the meat, so to speak. So while we see all this symbolism being given to us, symbolism being given to us here. And the disciples say it's late. It's in the wilderness. Send them away so they can go in the countryside and buy themselves and simply, themselves something to eat. You give them something to eat, he responded. You give them something to eat. Jesus, look, it's late. Some of these guys, they got they got a different agenda going on. I mean, some of them are talking about how they're going to come grab you here in a moment. There's a lot of factions going on. Jesus, we got to get ready. Matter of fact, send them on. They're hungry. And when they get hungry, we don't know what's going to happen with them. So would you just send them on? And Jesus said, you give them something to eat. What? What? Me? Us? And then they're kind of sarcastic. They go, look, Jesus, we had 200 denarii. We, we couldn't feed all these people. What do you mean, feed them? And then look what Jesus does. The Bible says, He asked them, how many loaves do you have? Go look. When they found out, they came back and they said, we have five loaves and two fish. Then he instructed the people, all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. And he set them in ranks of hundreds and fifties. <clears throat> Don't you know that some of the people are thinking, all right, we're getting down to business. He's putting us in ranks in fifties and hundreds. That's exactly what Moses did. He established ranks and orders <clears throat> and put the groups in fifties and hundreds and gave leaders over them. I'm going to go tell them I need to be a captain. You've got people that are so ready for this. And they're sitting down. He put them in those groups. Yeah, he's preached that message. But now maybe we're in, maybe it's time for business. And then all of a sudden, there's bread. What is this? It's coming from the front, man. There's more bread. Where did all this bread come? I don't know. And they keep passing the bread back, and it keeps coming back. And and then next thing you know, there's fish. It's fish. It's fish sandwich time. Where where's all this coming from? There's food like crazy. We're in our groups. We're ready. He's been preaching this message of compassion, of repentance. But now he's giving it out food. And they're totally perplexed. You know what's interesting, I think, too, on that is Jesus says, what do you have? How much do you have? Well, we've got five loaves and two fish. That'll be enough. It's always remarkable how Jesus will take what you have and he'll use it to make it enough for what he needs to accomplish. You may think, I, I just need so much more talent. I need so much more education. I need more learning. I need to get my life right. I need to be better. Jesus says, no, just come bring your fine loaves and two fish. It'll be enough. Because if you had enough bread, if you had enough fish, you'd take the credit. You'd do it yourself. But see, I'm going to do something miraculous. You see, when compassion meets truth, there's power. And that's what's going to occur right here. Compassion. Jesus has a heart for them. The Bible says it's His kindness that leads us to repentance. And then He's going to give them the truth of which they've received and then the power 
occurs right here. So he sat them in their ranks of hundreds and fifties. Then he took the five, uh, then he took the five loaves and the Bible says they took the two fish and he looked up to heaven and what did he do? He blessed it. He broke it. And then he began giving it to the disciples. He blessed it. He broke it. He gave it. He went to the gospel of Mark chapter 14. A few chapters later, what does he do when he's in the upper room? He takes the bread. He blesses it. He breaks it. He gives it to the disciples. It's a foreshadowing of what will occur. What happens in the life of Jesus? He blesses them with a message of truth. Then He is broken upon the cross. Not His bones, but His body. That's a metaphor for death. He is broken. And then He is given as a ransom for many. He blesses. He breaks. He gives Himself away. And he does that right here. He gives a, a metaphor of what is to come. And everyone ate and was filled. And then they picked up 12 baskets full of pieces of bread and fish. And now those who ate loaves were 5,000 men. He takes what they have and he multiplies it. You know, that's what God does with us. When we have compassion in our hearts for others, it's just like this ministry right here, Feed the Hunger. It's a compassion ministry. And we will be able to take what little bit you give. Let's say you give 20 or $25. That's going to go into a pool and we're going to be able to feed 200,000 people. You know why that will happen? It won't be because somebody writes one big check. It will be because you bring some and it's combined with others and then God miraculously uses it. Matter of fact, by the end of, this year, by the end of next year, we will have fed over half a million people. Just from this ministry, not counting the ministries that we do right here locally as well. And how does it start? When somebody has a vision and says, I have a vision that I want to make an impact. I want to see children who are literally starving fed. One of the reasons that we're sponsoring orphanages is because of compassion. But you know what happens if it's just compassion? If we only do food, we only say, here's some money. Take some money. You know what that does? That is, that is sympathy but it's not transformative. That's great, and we hope that you'll give toward this. But then there's the truth. We want boys and girls and men and women to know the truth that Jesus loves them, that He died for them, and that He offers salvation for them. And we want to take action. That's why we're inviting you to come and help us pack those meals and help us send. That's why we're asking men to go over there and help with the distribution and to see the orphanages that we're sponsoring and to see what's occurring. You see, compassion with no truth is left wanting. It's not transformative. It just makes you feel better for a moment. And truth without compassion is sterile. People don't just want to hear truth. They don't just want to hear, hit me with the gospel. What does James say? He says, if you see someone who's sick and hungry and say, be warm and go and be filled. No, it's compassion and truth combined with action. That's the gospel. It's compassion with truth and the power of transformation. It's what Jesus does here. It's what God wants us to do as followers of Christ. And you know what's interesting? The Bible says that there were 12 baskets left over. That's an interesting number. Now, we know that the number 12 is, means completion. It means whole. But think about it for just a moment. How many tribes were there? Twelve. How many disciples were there? Disciples all 
had an opportunity to, to share all this food. And then what's left? There's enough for a basket for each disciple. There's enough to represent each tribe. And Jesus is giving us a message that, look, I am more than enough for the nation of Israel. I will meet your needs according to my riches and glory through Christ Jesus. I am here to be the Savior, but I have compassion. I have the word of truth, and I'm going to take action. I'm going to go to a cruel cross for you. And I know the revolution you were anticipating was one of which I would come in and lead you and we would kill, steal, and destroy. But I've come to bring life and hope. It's going to be a non-violent revolution for you, but it'll be very violent for me. You know how it was violent? It was violent because Jesus was placed upon a cross. And nails were driven through His hand and through His feet. A spear was placed in His side. And He died a violent revolutionary death. But much like Martin Luther King Jr., his death was one of nonviolence. It not only shared a message of hope, but a message of transformation. That through his love and forgiveness, through his proclamation, though he was rich, he became poor. Though he had all power, he allowed himself to be crucified upon the cross. That all who would believe that He is the Messiah, that He is the Savior, could transfer their trust to what He did upon the cross. And their sins would be forgiven as He, on the third day, rose again and conquered sin and death. And that He is creating a new heaven and earth that one day we will live in for eternity for all who trust Him and believe and receive His grace and forgiveness. There is the message of the cross. There is the true Message of compassion and truth. So here's my question to you today as you hear this. What are you doing with it? How does that live itself out? I want to go back one more time. I want to show a picture again of the family that we just had a dedication for a while ago, the Horn family. And I want to tell you the full story of kind of what has occurred here. What has happened is uh, they, as I shared with you earlier, uh, they they weren't really raised in church. Didn't really weren't raised in faith. And um, when they moved out here, uh, they didn't really have a lot of friends. Didn't really know a lot of folks. And so they moved over here to Lantana, and they got the diagnosis of what was going to occur. And so they began to look around. And uh, they visited a church too, and they came here. And the Sunday that they came was a Sunday that I preached and gave the illustration of of how Julie and Warren Reichel had been through their terminal pregnancy. And so I shared that story. So afterwards, I walked outside, and uh, this was just a couple of months ago. I walked outside, and they said, hey, we want to know about small groups. We want to know about community. We're going through a tough time, through a tough situation. I didn't know their story. And um, about that time, Julie walked up. I said, you know, I'll introduce you to Julie. She works with our small groups. And so they began to talk with Julie and found out that Julie was the one that they'd heard the story about. So Julie shares her story. And they exchange information, and uh, Don Leaf and Julie and others begin to minister to them. And uh, they come to the place, they say, hey, we, we, we think we want to be a part. We want to be a part of a small group here. We want to invest our lives. We want to be ministered to here. And so we start to do that, and they, they become a part of a small group. Matthew Harding is sharing, and he's part of leading that small group. And then uh, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, after the small group, we were, Matthew and I are sitting out there talking with Jeff, and the women are talking to Melissa, and Jeff says, you know, I, I got a lot of questions still, and, uh, and we tried to answer those the best we could, and then Matthew shared the gospel with them. And he said, well, I want to think about this. I don't know that I'm quite ready. 
And then just uh, two weeks ago, two weeks ago this Sunday, they came to Starting Point. And Jeff made a commitment to Christ. We had two other families that committed themselves to Christ. And six people, six adults who will be baptized from that time who said, you know, I'm ready to take that step. And I was talking to Jeff yesterday. I said, Jeff, what was it that brought you to that place? You know what it was? Here's what it was. It was, he said, the compassion that we were shown through other families and through that story, through the way that Julie reached out to my wife and ministered to the way that a lot of people in our church have ministered to him. They said, and then the truth of the message. It was the truth. That story, he said, you answered some questions and it really made me think as I heard what he didn't really understand was the gospel at that time, which caused the power of transformation. Salvation. That's what it is. That's how it happens. You know, it didn't happen with just one person. It happened with multiple people through the Spirit of God. So here's my question to you. In fact, let's, let's come over here. Who is God leading you to demonstrate compassion to? And remember, compassion alone is just sympathy. It's not transformative to make you feel better. But who in your life is God convicting of you to share compassion with? And with compassion comes truth. Not always that day. Not only always that week. That wasn't the case here. This was weeks later. But it comes a time through the compassion that we have to share the truth because this is temporary. This is eternal. So who in your life is God leading you to share compassion with? To demonstrate compassion to? And to share the truth of the hope that's within us. Of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the question becomes, will you take action? Just as Jesus did it, so did He give us an example to do it with others. To have compassion, but also to share the hope of the truth that's within us. Because that's where the power comes from. You see, the loaves, our little ability is just, hey, I'll just be there to listen. I'll listen to you. Yeah, I'll bring food if I can. You know, and if we look at it, we think... I don't know if that's enough. And you know, the truth of it is it's not enough. It's like the loaves that the, the disciples came to you know, Here's what we got. We got these five loaves and these two fish. Jesus, that'll be enough. I'm telling you today, it doesn't matter what your education is. It doesn't matter what your financial situation is. It doesn't matter what your past is. Compassion is free. Compassion can be stirred from the Spirit of God. And then the truth of God, it's not dependent upon you, whether people accept it, but that we share the hope that is in us. And that's where the power comes from, to multiply your compassion, to multiply what you cannot do a hundredfold. The only way 5,000 people were fed were not because well, we got to come up with a plan of action here. Let's gather money. Let's run to town. Let's try to grow some bread. That was all impossible. They simply brought what they had and placed it before Jesus and He multiplied it. They took the step of action. and They did what they could and they allowed God to do the rest. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ. I want to invite you to do that. You would say, I don't know that much. I don't completely understand. Then just take a step. Take a step toward God and say, I don't know and I don't understand. We have men all over. We have men and women all over this room that just had to take a step. We have even running the soundboard today. Just had to take a step of faith. And as you take that step of faith, Jesus steps towards you.
He will embrace you. As you give your five loaves and your two fish, say, this is all I got. This is all I understand. This is all I can do. Jesus said, it's enough. I'll take it from here. What about you? Have you stepped toward Him? And if you have, are you stepping toward others in the power of the truth of the gospel in a spirit of compassion? Let's pray.